Amen. Well, have you ever felt like you were being judged ever in your whole life? I mean, you know, have you ever found yourself in that situation where people, you just know they're looking at you and they're like, yeah, uh-huh. And you're like, why are they looking at me this way? So yesterday afternoon, I had a little adventure. I was printing my notes for this message. I have these three-step process. So the last part is to print my notes and rehearse it and I was out of ink. So I'm like, it's okay. My apartment is like right next to a well-known store, which I won't name, uh, but it rhymes with mall tart. <laughs> I can actually, you, know, you can actually see the parking lot from the window in my apartment, so that's why we don't have television. We don't need it, we've got entertainment. But, <laughs> so I'm like, I just go and, and get ink, and I did. And, went in and went to the electronics department and got the ink. Surprisingly, it was only $16, but they still had it encased in the special thing. I had to go to the electronics and they undid. I paid for it. And I'm walking out. And as I walk out the door, the alarm goes off. And I'm like, you know, and so I went right to the lady that's there in that little booth, you know, to prevent people from walking out stealing stuff. And I showed her the receipt. She scanned it and she scanned the thing. She's like, no, you're totally good. You're fine. Go ahead. And if it goes off again, just keep walking. I said, well, let's hope that doesn't happen. And I walked out the doors and the alarm went off again. And people are looking at you, you know? They're looking at me like, because I'm stopped and I'm like, and I look back at the lady by the booth, you know, just to get some support, I'm waving and she's just helping somebody else. She's not paying any attention. And people are looking at me like, what's he gonna do? I'm, I get the receipt, like, I, I paid, I paid. I'm leaving and I know, and they're like, he looks familiar. <laughs> See that pastor? He's walking awfully fast now. You know how it is where you just feel like you're being judged. Well, it's a terrible feeling. And this is the feeling that the Samaritan woman had when she walked up to a well in the middle of the day when nobody's supposed to be there, right? The women all come early in the morning together. She's there alone. Nobody's supposed to be there. And there's this Jewish holy man sitting there. What's he doing there? Great. She's thinking, I know he's looking down at me. But the man was Jesus. And so what Jesus did, well, actually, I don't want to give it away yet because that's what the message is about. Um, I told this story and read this passage to my daughter, Gwendolyn, who's in the sixth grade. I read this to her about a week and a half ago, and I did the same thing. I'm like, you know, so I don't want to get ahead of myself. I don't want to spoil the story. She's like, Dad, I've studied the story five times in school. She goes to the Countryside Christian Academy here. It's like, you're not going to spoil the story. And I was a little deflated. And then she said, but you tell it better, Dad. <laughs> so, you know, she pumped a little air into that bubble again. So let us just 
Lift up God's word and pray as we dive into his word. Father, thank you so much that through your word we have all the things that we need for life and for love. Pray, Father, that you would anoint our hearts to receive what you have to say in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I just want to welcome all of you who are watching online from around the world, some people local in this community, and people in different countries and different states. Thank you so much for joining us today. You are part of our family. Let's welcome our online family together. And I also want to take a moment to specifically welcome those of you who are watching from the, the you ladies at the Pinellas County Jail. I want to tell you something. God has something for you in your life. He has purpose for you. And I hope that you receive a gift from this message in your heart. Can we welcome the ladies to Pinellas County Jail? So Jesus, he just had to go through Samaria. He was in Judah, it was in the southern part of what we think of as Israel at that time. And he wanted to get up to Galilee, which is in the northern part. But in between those two areas is a strip of land called Samaria. Now, you didn't go through Samaria, not if you were a good Jew. Because those people you wanted nothing to do with. Instead, what you would do is you would skirt around Samaria by going around, it would add extra time to your journey, but that's okay. Because the Samaritans, well, they're a problem. Hundreds of years before, when the Israelites were taken out of the land, a few of the lowest of the low were left behind and they intermarried with the Gentiles and they mixed religions and they were kind of part Jewish, part not. And, and the believing Jews at this time thought, well, that's worse than being a Gentile. Not only that, but 150 years before, the Samaritans had decided, we don't need to go to Jerusalem to worship. We can make our own worship up here in this mountain, Gerizim, which is in our land. And that was absolutely forbidden, so they fought a war over it. And it ended up that this temple that they'd built on Mount Gerizim was destroyed, and they just hated each other. It was just awful. So Jews, they wouldn't even drink out of the same cups or eat out of the same plates that the Samaritans had. Certainly not going to visit it. Don't want to talk to anybody. Go around. But Jesus just had to go through Samaria. And the disciples, imagine, imagine the disciples are like, we're going, what? Through Samaria? So they're partway in, and it's lunchtime, it's around noon, and it's hot. And they're like, okay, here's this well. Jesus, you wait here. Nobody's gonna be coming by this time of day. You just sit down and, you know, pray, and you like to do that, and we'll go into the village to get food. I hear there's a lucky dill there. <laughs> we'll get lunch. You wait here. All right, guys, let's go. Safety in numbers. So they walked a half mile to the village called Sakar. Meanwhile, there is somebody coming to the well. A lone woman 
It's a little odd because women wouldn't go to the well alone. They'd go together in groups. It was a social kind of thing. In the morning when it was cool, she was coming at a time where it was certain that nobody else from the village would be there, probably outcast in her society. Interestingly, remember the disciples were on their way to the village. She was on the way back. The text does not say this, but there's a very good chance that they crossed paths. I wonder what that would have looked like. Disciples. <laughs> and kind of expecting a Samaritan woman to kind of get out of the way so they get through, and she's not the kind of woman that would. I don't know what happened, but it must have been interesting. And maybe on her mind, as she finally arrives at the well, and oh, great, here he is. This Jewish, by his dress, holy man. And she's carrying her clay pitcher with her to get the water. She's carrying her little leather pouch with three sticks to kind of keep it open at the top, which they used as a bucket. Everyone had their own. She's like, great. Well, I'm gonna do it anyway because I'm not walking a half mile back. I'm gonna get my water. And she ties the rope around her leather pouch. And, and this Jewish man turns to her and speaks to her and says, Give me a drink. This never happens for Jews to speak to Samaritans at all. And for Jewish holy men, she was used to the Pharisees, right? They had this thing, never speak to a woman in public, even if it's your wife or sister or daughter. Never speak to a woman in public. In fact, don't look at them. There was a sect of Pharisees. They were called the bruised and bleeding Pharisees because if they'd see a woman in public, they'd close their eyes and bump into walls and things, right? It was a big deal. In, in, in the Old Testament and Jewish religion, Hebrew religion, of course women were highly elevated compared to the surrounding nations, but they had imbibed the drink of the lowliness of how women were looked at in pagan societies and they'd taken that on for themselves. And Jesus apparently did not take it on to himself. He spoke to her, give me a drink. Well, let's look at our text, John chapter four, verse nine. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you were speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. This is what Jesus immediately does for her and his first speaking to her and this is what he does for us. It's point one in your notes. Jesus makes room for us to serve him, to serve him. And he told her that he would give her living water. This is interesting, this is like kind of a play on words because the language that John is writing this, living water can mean two things. It can mean the type of water that comes from a spring instead of stagnant water, and it can also mean like the water of life, like the kind of water spiritually that you would search for. And of course Jesus means that but she interprets it 
the first way on purpose. She knows what he's getting at. He's a Jewish holy man. Those were probably his crew back there. He's speaking in spiritual stuff, and she's not going to give him the satisfaction. She's a sharp lady. She's a skeptic. She's been around. He can't mess with her. But Jesus is making room for her to serve him. And the reason that he did that for her, and the reason that he does that with us, is because he knows that when we give to him and when we serve him, it opens up our hearts to receiving. About a week and a half ago, I went grocery shopping at that same unnamed store with my, two of my kids, Destin and Gwendolyn, he's 13, and, and she's just about to turn 12. And we have this thing, we don't really drink soda at, at home, so when they help me with shopping, then we leave, I put 50 cents in the machine and get each of them a soda, right? And they wanted a Coca-Cola, and it's, since it's rare, it's special, it's a treat, it's cold, tastes really good. And they wait until you know, we get all the groceries upstairs and unpacked, and then they each have their soda, and they love it. Except this time, Gwendolyn, she said to my wife, Thalia, she said, Mom, I want you to have mine. And then this is the shocker. Remember, they're less than two years apart. Destin, he said, Gwendolyn, I want you to have mine. I was in the other room. I tried not to shout hallelujah or jump around, you know, anything like that. I didn't want to ruin it. I kind of peeked around the corner and Gwendolyn's got the new, you know, soda in her hand from Destin and her mouth is open. She's just like, I wonder if he shook it or something. I mean, she's trying to figure out what's going on here. And Destin, you know, he's just nonchalant. He's, but he's standing up a little taller. Shoulders are back a little further. Because you know what I'm talking about. When you give out of a cheerful heart, not really expecting anything in return, you just want to give, it does something to you, doesn't it? It blesses you. And Jesus is giving this Samaritan woman this opportunity. Jesus knows that when we serve him and give something to him, it brings us joy. And actually, it's an invitation to worship. Worship is not only singing, and singing is part of worship, but biblically, worship is also serving and giving. This is so cool to mention this this week because of next week, Pastor Glenn bringing this spiritual warfare series to us because serving and giving cleanses our hearts and assaults the gates of hell. It truly does. This woman wanted none of that, however. Her response is something like, oh, you know, you don't even have anything to draw the water with. Remember, they would, people would each have their own leather pouches with three sticks keeping it open, they would tie to the rope. He didn't have that. Apparently, the disciples took it. She's like, you don't even have anything to draw with there. And it's over 60 feet down to the water line. So how are you gonna get to this living water? And essentially what she's saying to him is you just want me to get your water because you're unprepared and you don't wanna do the heavy lifting so you're going spiritual on me to justify it. And then she, she puts the knife in. She says, so do you think you're greater than Jacob? This is the guy who's the patriarch who was renamed Israel, right? 
who's the one who gave us this well and drank from it? She's saying, the water here was just fine for Father Jacob, but now you're too good for it? You've got something better, huh? You think you're so much better than me, and you can't even get your own drink. Jesus was not offended. In John chapter four, starting at verse 13, this is how he replies. Jesus replied, well, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Jesus is offering her something here. He made room for her to serve, but this is what he's, he's offering the gift of himself. The gift of himself. And this is our second point. What Jesus does is he satisfies our thirst. And you know how it is. We get thirsty. And I'm not talking about physical thirst. There are things we thirst for in life and we look for all this stuff to satisfy it. Career relationships, passions, hobbies, maybe addictions. It's like we keep going back to that well to get that recurring satisfaction and it never does the trick. It's kind of like, well, I have a good career and I just want a promotion because a promotion, that would be so good. Oh, I got a promotion. I'm satisfied. I've been doing this for a while now. I kind of want another promotion. I don't want to get stuck where I am. You don't want some upward mobility. So, oh, really? I, I received that other promotion. Now I'll be satisfied. Hmm. It's a lot of water in here. but somehow I'm thirsty again. Not really, but for the sake of this illustration. <laughs> I know I've had promotions, but it's not really enough. I, I want more, I want, I want more. <sighs> if I don't see you right after service, just give me a couple minutes, all right? I mean, at some point, there's, it, it ends, right? You get promoted until what? Dictator of the earth? And then what? You, you're never satisfied. Relationships. Oh, now I found the right guy. Like this woman at the well, maybe this is, this is it now. It's the right guy. And then a few weeks later, you find he leaves his towel on the floor of the shower. After he showers, starts to drive you crazy. Whatever it is, it just gets old and you're like, this is not gonna satisfy me because it's not intended to. None of these things, none of them are bad. They just aren't intended to satisfy. And then sometimes we move into the realm 
of real addictions. And that doesn't satisfy either. But when we come to him as our source, instead of all the lesser wells, we find what our thirst was made for. You know, that longing that you can never seem to satisfy. It's because nothing does satisfy except the one for whom that longing was placed in us. She's not ready yet. She's not ready to receive. When he says this kind of water he will give her that she will never thirst again, this is her response. She says, oh, well then, sir, you give me some of this water of yours, then I won't have to walk to this wall every day with this pitcher. And she's poking fun at Jesus for being spiritual. She says, by all means, lay this water on me. It's a half mile here every day. The pitcher is heavy. And Jesus looks at her and says, okay. First, go call your husband. She's got him now. This supposedly holy man that has this connection with God, he must have missed something big. He doesn't know all that. He doesn't know what he's talking about because, and she threw it in his face, twisting the knife. I have no husband. If you were a prophet, you'd know better. And Jesus says, you've spoken truthfully about that. In fact, you've had five husbands and the one you're living with now is not your husband. Jaw drop. It's at this point that she recognizes that she is facing something that's unexpected. She is facing a true man of God. And so she's like, okay, I, I see her a prophet, but what she does at this point, I love, because this is what skeptics do. I love skeptics, I just do, I love them, and I love what she does here. Have you ever been in a conversation with a skeptic and then something touches their heart at some point in the conversation? Their eyes start to well up a little because it's like the spirit is actually touching them. And what do they do? They come up with a theology question, right? Something like, uh, you know, well, if, if, if God's so loving and all-powerful, then, then why is there suffering in the world? Or if Jesus is the answer and Christianity is all that, then why are all these denominations? Or, you know, if, if God can do anything, can he make a rock so heavy he can't lift it? You know what I'm saying. It's a distraction from what's happening inside, and this is exactly what this woman does. There was this great controversy between the Jews and the Samaritans, remember, on where the temple should be? Jerusalem, and then the Samaritans built their own on that mountain. They fought a war and destroyed it. So the woman says, hey, look at that. And this is a picture from 120 years ago of the ruins of this well, the area there we would have been standing, and that's Mount Gerizim there in the distance. And she points to that mountain where that temple was built and said, oh, look up there. Don't look at me, get your eyes off me now. This is, this is where we say to worship, you say Jerusalem, so what is it? 
Without realizing it, she just took the conversation in exactly the place Jesus wanted to go. And that was the place of worship. Because this conversation was about that. Where is your worship? He said to her, the time is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem are you gonna worship the Father. Now technically, the Jews have the knowledge of God, who, but the hour is coming, in fact, the hour is already here, when the Father is looking for true worshipers who will worship him, because God is spirit, and those who worship him will worship in spirit and in truth. Now this is one, what Jesus just said here, those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth, is one of the three or four greatest statements in all of scripture. And Jesus just laid it on this five times married, living with a guy, Samaritan woman. And she is beside herself. So then she takes a different approach. Now that he has answered in such a powerful way, without judging, now she wants to find common ground with him. And this would happen too with a, with a real skeptic and the same thing would have happened with them. They would be like, oh, well, you know, I guess we both believe if there's a God, he's a God of love. I mean, they look for common ground, right? And this is what she does. She said in John 4, 24, the woman said, well, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ, and when he comes, he'll explain everything to us because both the Samaritans and the Jews believed in the coming Messiah. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. He hasn't said that to his disciples yet. He hasn't told anyone that he's the Messiah yet, as far as recorded in scripture. And he tells her. He just gave this woman the answer to everything. The invitation to serve him, the satisfaction of all her desires, the revelation of himself, and by so doing, Jesus here, he unveiled her purpose. He didn't point to the religion of self. He didn't say, well, you just gotta believe in yourself, man. He didn't do that. He pointed to something far, far better. I know for about 80 years or so in, the, in Western civilization, we pointed to the religion of self as the answer. That's why we keep coming up dry and our thirst is just unquenchable. I love what John Piper wrote he said, you were made for something infinitely better than yourself. Your soul, your worth could never satisfy you, ever. The reason is because you were made for something better. And what he led her to and what he leads us to, Jesus leads us to our purpose, to our purpose. Here she was, she's looking for the Messiah in her own way. She was looking for salvation in her own way. She was married five times. She was looking for it in relationships. And I bet you they kept letting her down. A woman couldn't initiate divorce in Samaria. She wasn't the one doing the rejecting, I just bet. But she's looking for redemption in that. And people do that. They look for redemption in their careers and their causes. I gotta have, this, the cause is big enough. I'll be satisfied. They look for it in companionship. And it's all empty 
but the unseen battle is one with worship. So he's wrapping up his conversation with her and about this time the disciples come back with lunch. <laughs> and see Jesus talking to a Samaritan woman alone. This is against all the rules. This is totally against the Billy Graham rule. I'm sorry, Billy Graham wasn't born yet. The Rabbi Gamaliel rule. No! And it's like, what, what is he doing? Meanwhile, as they finish, she leaves. She leaves her clay pitcher behind. She doesn't even take the water with her. She leaves. This woman from Samaria who went to the well to get a pitcher of water, she left the pitcher, she walked away with the well. But the disciples are like, who's gonna say something? Are you gonna say something? And the text, all the text tells us, they, they were like, they didn't dare say anything. Like, why are you talking with her? But it doesn't tell us exactly how that went down. Knowing these characters, I don't know. Um, so who's gonna say something to him? Matthew, how about you? No, no, it's just too taxing. <laughs> well, Judas, Judas, why don't you do it? Hey, by the way, you never gave me my change back. From Judas, you did? I don't remember getting, are you sure that you don't wanna go? Thomas, how about you? Thomas, are you up to it? I doubt it. <laughs> and then Simon the Zealot's like, I'll do it. No, Simon, just chill out, man, not you. So finally, some of them come, I don't know who it was, maybe Peter, James, and John. They kind of go, finally they go up to Jesus. Uh, Jesus? And Jesus is like, yes. We brought lunch. <laughs> You, you, you want a sandwich? He says, Jesus answers, I have food that you don't know about. And they're like, did you give him my sandwich? The one with the extra mustard? No, I didn't give you a sandwich. And, and, and Jesus is like, my food is to do the will of the Father. And they're like, oh, that kind of food. Spiritual food. Well, okay, if you change your mind, and we're just gonna eat here. And they're eating and, and Jesus is just kind of looking off into the distance to the fields that are there, the barley fields. It's early time of year, so they're still green. And Jesus, while they're eating and everything, he says, you know that saying, four months then the harvest? It's an expression, it kinda means good things come to those that wait or you can't rush perfection because you can't make the harvest come sooner than it's supposed to, right? And they're like, yeah, we know that saying. And Jesus says, well, I'm telling you, the harvest is ready, the fields are white. And what that means is when the barley and, and so forth, when it ripened, it would turn this light color and it looked white from a distance. And he'd say, even now, the harvest is ready, it's white, look. And they're like, hmm, yeah, that's deep. Thank you, Jesus. No, I want you to look. Yes, we receive it, look. And well, yeah, it's, they're green stalks everywhere. What? 
kind of white, and it's, and it's moving, you know. And what they saw were the white headdresses of the Samaritan men, because she'd gone back to the village, and she'd said, I met this man who told me everything I ever did. Could he be the Messiah? And they came to him. They came to that well. Many, many men from the village. Tell us who you are. Tell us about yourself. Jesus stayed with them for two days. This Samaritan woman, this outcast from her own society, became the first evangelist in the Gospels. The very first evangelist. Jesus doesn't care where you've been. You think you're unqualified to fulfill Christ's purpose for you? Well, he's calling you. He's saying, come to me. Give me your water that never satisfies and your burdens and your traumas, your tragedies, and I'll give you living water so you never thirst again. Forgiveness and purpose and significance. Family of God. Why pursue the things that don't really matter because they don't truly satisfy? But she made a choice, and her choice was to leave her pitcher behind and receive from the well that was him. It changed her forever. I think this choice lies before all of us. Do we keep continually seeking after the things that are never gonna satisfy us or do we come to him? Bob Goff, one of my favorite authors, author of Love Does, he wrote this, and it really strikes home with me. He writes, I used to be afraid of failing at something that really mattered to me, but now I'm more afraid of succeeding at things that don't matter. Amen. Would you just bow your heads with me? I know that today that there are people in this room that this was a moment where God wanted you to hear something like this. He wanted you to hear this conversation that his son had with this woman at the well because he's having a similar conversation with you in your heart. And he has a purpose for you. It doesn't depend on your past. It doesn't depend on your past choices. He has a well for you so that you'll never thirst again. He offers forgiveness. He offers a new life in him. He offers that he would stand and walk with you every step of the way, not waiting until you get all cleaned up to come to him, but just as you are right now. And if you're here in this room at this moment, I don't believe it's an accident. I think that God has designed it this way and that he's already been working on your heart and speaking to you. So with everybody's head bowed and every eye closed, if you would say to me, Pastor Tim, I'd like you to please keep me in your prayers, and I will, tonight I will with my wife. I'll pray for each and every one of you. When I count to three, I just want you to slip your hand up in the air, and as soon as I see it, you can put it right back down. I'm not gonna call you up or ask you to stand up or anything like that. I just wanna be able to pray for you. And if that's you and you're saying, I do want this walk with Jesus to say yes to him. When I count to three, raise your hand. One, two, 
three. I see your hand and yours and yours and yours. Yes, and yours. I'm over on this side right now and yours. I see it. Yes, ma'am. I see your hand and yours and yours. In the middle now. Yes, I see your hand and yours and yours and yours. Yes, sir. And ma'am, I see your hand. Yes, in the back. I see them up at the top. I see your hand and yours. Thank you. I see your hand there. And over to my left here. Yes, I see your hand and yours and yours. Thank you. I see your hand and I see your hand there. Thank you, and I see yours, yes ma'am. And yours, yes ma'am. For the sake of all those that raise their hands, would everyone in this room please repeat this prayer after me? And if you are praying this prayer for the first time, meaning it in your heart, this is a day of new life for you because Jesus always says yes to this prayer. Would you pray after me, Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I know I'm a sinner. I know I've messed up. But you sent your son to die for me. You offer forgiveness and new life. So I ask you for your forgiveness. And I ask you to make your son my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Can we glorify him right now? For Would you all please stand with me now to receive a blessing? And as the prayer team comes forward, I wanna let all of you know that you, if you want prayer for any reason, our prayer team will be here to pray for you. And if you raised your hand and you would like special prayer for that, we're also here for you. And we have a free book for you, The Fresh Start with God, and a place to go next week, right, during second service so that you can learn more about this journey. But to receive your blessing, just prepare your hearts now. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a wonderful Sunday, everyone. <laughs>